Hello, and welcome to the Trauma and Mental Health Reports podcast series. We aim to share stories and knowledge on topics related to trauma and mental health with the community. My name is Alyssa, and I'd like to welcome our guest for today's episode, Lindsay Hall. Lindsay is the author of the award-winning blog titled I Haven't Shaved in Six Weeks, which focuses on eating disorders and recovery. She is outspoken about the reality of recovery and treatment and uses her social media platforms to share her experience. So let's get into today's conversation. Hi, Lindsay. Hello. Thank, Thank you, you for so that lovely much. intro. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Yeah, um, happy to be here. Yeah. So the first thing I wanted to ask you was about your eating disorder journey, because I know on your blogs, you've talked about how you were sick for a long time before you were ready to seek treatment. So what was that kind of journey like for you? Yeah. So, you know, I always, actually, I don't always, this has been something that I think has come about in the, the seven or eight years now that I've been in recovery, is that I no longer talk about an eating disorder as just one eating disorder. I now look at my entire experience as the cycle of an eating disorder. Um, because I don't think very many people, and I'm not speaking for everyone, everyone has a different experience with eating disorders, but um, my experience alone was not just based in one primary uh, eating disorder. So I was never just, I never just had anorexia. I never just had binge eating. I lived in this cycle where I would restrict and then binge and then purge and then overexercise and then restrict. And yeah, the, the goal was always to be thinner or, uh, to feel in control. Exercise always made me feel in control. Um, so I thought, and so yeah, it, just to clarify, so that's kind of my experience of living in the cycle. Um, so it started, you know, every time I get asked this question, it seems my answer changes. So maybe that's yeah. just also part of recovery. <laughs> but when it, when I, when I really think about when my eating disorder started, um, I was around 16. Um, I was, and I always say this, you know, everyone has a different childhood and growing up experience with identity, but, uh, growing up, I was really small. I was really short, like the shortest girl in my class. And, and that was just kind of one of those known things like, and that was kind of how my identity became more shaped as, you know, when you're a kid, you're just kind of taking input from everybody around you. And so I was taking input from all my teachers, my doctors, my parents, my friends, always commenting on how small I was, um, how little I was, or how this and this and this, and I couldn't wear adults clothes, you know, like, like I couldn't fit into anything. And I think that, you know, I shaped my reality around that of being like, okay, well, I'm not the smartest girl, or I'm not the most athletic, or I'm not the most this, but I am the small one. And so when I hit puberty around 15 or 16, um, I gained weight like every normal person and became, and I started to look a little bit more at, like everyone else around me. And um, I, that was hard for me. So it was kind of that first inkling of being like, well, who am I without that identity? You know, like now that I don't, I'm not the small one anymore. And people, people have no problem commenting on that either, which I really hate about our cultures. <laughs> um, they'll, you know, like, people have no problem just being like, oh yeah, you've gained weight. Or like you, like at least back then when I was 16, people were like, oh, you're filling out now. You can wear like adult clothes and doctors would say it and my parents would say it. And I know that they didn't mean any harm, but it's just still really hard if that's, if that's what your identity is rooted in. So I think around 16 was when I started really looking at calorie counting and then starting to wanting to exercise more because um, I come from a very fit family. So exercise is a huge part of my parents' life. Um, 
And that's all I'm going to say about that. That's their journey. <laughs> and, uh, and so I was around, I was around it a lot. And so, uh, you know, exercise became this kind of status symbol of like, of having your life together and in control. So I, I started exercising a lot more. So I, I really think that the roots of the eating disorder were growing around 16. Uh, when I think it started escalating, because I think there's a lot of people that start having disordered eating, eating disorders, but it can kind of stay at this baseline level. Not that it's okay, but that it stays at this baseline level. And then something will trigger a bigger increase of the disordered behavior, et cetera, et cetera. And for me, it was when I was 18, my best friend died um, and he died pretty tragically. And it was the first time I'd ever dealt with trauma and it was pure trauma. And I, I didn't know how to grieve and I didn't know how to feel. Um, I was just young, you know, I was, I was 18 and I was sad in the way that I conceptualized being sad was to show it or to, to, it's like I, I needed to wear it on me. And so I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't know how to grieve properly or just feel it. So I kept getting sicker. Like I wanted to like, I, I used my eating disorder as a way to control the grief, I guess. And so I would say that my eating disorder kind of ricocheted all throughout college, you know, and, and I've written a lot about this too, but it's like my eating disorder was never, sometimes it was worse than other years, you know, and this was all an eight year period. And like, sometimes it was worse than other years. Some months were better than other months. And so I never felt really sick enough because what I grew up around was the idea that if you had an eating disorder, you were like Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen or what, you know, whatever celebs had eating disorders back then. And so I was never that, you know, underweight necessarily. So I didn't really know what, I didn't really know that I had an eating disorder. I knew that I had a preoccupation with food, but I didn't think that I was like good enough at the eating disorder to even have it. Um, and so that went on all throughout college. I got a DWI when I was 21 because I had not eaten that day and drank two glasses of wine. Um, maybe you've seen my mug shot on Instagram. I post it every now and then. I have <laughs> and, seen it. <laughs> and, yeah, my, my pride and joy. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, when I got my DWI, that was super humiliating. I was 21 at the time. And, um, and so I think in, as a way to cope with it, I like threw myself into like exercising even more and being on like a very rigid vegan diet because I was trying to, I think, prove to myself and to other people like, oh no, I'm okay. I have my life together now. Like I made this mistake and it's okay. And now I'm going to be in control. And so I uh, graduated college, went to Spain for a year. Um, thought, you know, of course I have what every, a lot of people with eating disorders have. I was like, Ooh, moving destination. I'll just keep moving. And everywhere, if I move somewhere, it'll fix me. Um, and so I went to Spain. It did not fix me. <laughs> um, I was getting progressively worse while I was over there. And then I came back, uh, and I was living at home and that was very difficult. I did not want to be back in Texas. I wanted to be in your, you know, there was a, a lot of conflicting feelings when you're 23. I, I never want to be 23 again. <laughs> 23 was a really hard age. Cause you're like out of college or out of uni and like, you don't really know what you want to do, but you kind of know it, but you're like, you're supposed to figure it out, but like no one knows. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just, yeah, it's a conflicting time period. And it didn't, it exacerbated a lot of eating disorder um, behavior for me. So I um, eventually moved to New York, but by the time that I moved to New York, I was 23. It was the end of 2013, and I was only in New York for like a couple months because New York is not a good place to go to if you're already really struggling with mental health. It's a pretty overwhelming place. I love New York, like miss it every day, but it's a it's an overwhelming place to be. So um, I got I was just getting it was just becoming unmanageable. You know, eventually it was it was kind of all coming to a head after eight years, and uh, um, I. 
kind of told my family that something was going on, but again, didn't feel sick enough to really, to really own it. Uh, but thank God my family was astute and they were paying attention. I went home for Thanksgiving. I'll always remember this perfect, timely, timely podcast right now. Um, I went back for Thanksgiving in 2013 and I was at a wedding and I, um, was hiding grilled cheeses in my like coat pockets <laughs> and I had like binge ate two boxes of cereal earlier in the day because I had run like x amount of miles like you know before it was just I was just chaotically in the cycle at that point and I came home from the wedding and my parents had dug out the two uh, cereal boxes uh, special k and it was uh, sitting on the living room table and my dad was just you know more or less like hey like okay, we see it now, like something's, something's going on, and I just broke down and was like, yeah, I was like almost waiting for somebody to like intervene in my own life, I didn't know how to manage any, you know, my own life anymore, and so yeah, after that I went to treatment, I was in Renfrew uh, in uh, Florida for six weeks, inpatient, which is how I started my blog, I haven't shaved in six weeks, because I wanted to start a blog after getting out about, um, I wanted to humanize eating disorders and treatment. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to like, I couldn't find anything on the internet when I was going. And at the time I was like, I wanted to know like, what's the food like? What's, what am I going to do in rehab? Like, what do you do when you're in treatment? Like I was just, I wanted to find all this like nitty gritty and I couldn't find it. So I decided to write about it. And uh, I started with nine short stories about life and treatment. And then those nine stories did well. And now here we are eight years later and I write and speak and do all this other fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your story. Um, so, yeah. So you went to treatment and then you decided to start a blog. So when you first started blogging, did you have a particular goal in mind? Like, was it more for advocacy or self-accountability during recovery? Yeah, I think it was all of the above. I'd always, I was an English major. Um, writing's always come really natural to my senses and really natural to my, my life. Um, I've been writing short stories since I was like five years old. So I think when I, when I had something to finally really write about, because by the time I was at the end of my eating disorder, all I could write about was food. I didn't care about anything else. My brain didn't really have the capacity to think about other things because I was so obsessed with calorie counting and all the crap that goes on with that. And, um, and so when I could finally have this freedom in my, my brain space to write again, I wanted to write about the women that I was with because it was an all-female facility. I wanted to write about what life was like in treatment, what the beds were like, you know, like what, what we did every day. And, and it just poured out of me. And I think it was probably at, when I first started it, more of a tool of trying to come to senses with what I had just been through or what I had put myself through. Um, and also as a way to keep myself accountable. Yeah, I think the more I was able to process and write, the more I was able to choose recovery. And then, of course, as my blog grew and the community around me grew in recovery, um, yeah, I attributed a lot to to where I am now. I'm thankful for it. Don't know where I'd be without, without all the writing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so did you ever imagine that your blog would take off like that and you would have such a large following? I think I dreamed about it, but no, I did not. <laughs> um, no, I did not. No, uh, absolutely not. I kind of thought it was going to be more of this reckoning for me to put it out on my social media at the time where, you know, I, I didn't, it was just family and friends at that point, And I was just trying to own the fact that I had had an eating disorder 
to my family and friends. Um, and when I saw their responses to it, it was such a visceral response of being like, yeah, I like either they knew I had an eating disorder and didn't know how to approach it, or they were like, oh my God, my brother, my sister, my mom, my dad, my aunt has an eating disorder. You know, like all of these people came out of the woodwork that I had gone to college with and high school with. And were, all of a sudden I, I realized there was this much bigger need to be talking about this because in 2013 eating disorders were still pretty taboo like you just they weren't being talked about in the same way that they're talked about now where there's all the social justice issue you know like everything there's a lot it's become more politicized as we've as we've moved along in, in body liberation et cetera, et cetera. but back then it was still just a really taboo subject so yeah absolutely so as a blogger Um, And someone who is very active on social media, have you experienced any negative consequences of being online? Like, you know, people talk a lot about trolls and things like that. Just people in the comments who are not nice. Uh, Yeah, it's one of my favorite things to talk about. (laughs) Um, You know, Instagram's an interesting place. Everybody's got an opinion. um, And I think sometimes it is difficult for... uh, just anybody to humanize another person online if, if you're seeing their content. So I would say that I, I don't, I feel mixed about it. You know, um, sometimes then, yes, I get negative comments, of course, like absolutely. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's good. Sometimes I'm, it's needed because it's not negative. It's actually just feedback on how I needed to word something different or how I should look at a different perspective or how maybe my perspective's privileged um, or, you know, just accept, and that I totally welcome with open arms. I, I think what people forget though, is that I'm not, I'm not an expert necessarily. Um, I'm learning along with everybody else, you know, like I wasn't like body liberation, fat phobia, all these things that we're all learning about now online, which absolutely we need to be learning, but I'm learning them with everyone else. <laughs> um, and so when I write things, I appreciate it more if people are giving me feedback that's like direct, but not cruel. Uh, And yeah, I deal with a lot of negative um, anger. I would just say anger. Like I get a lot of angry messages, which I try to, you know, it's hard. It just depends on my mood. Some days I'm much more empathetic than other other days and, and it pisses me off. And then other days I can like understand that that person's hurting too. And if I've hurt them, I need to look at like how I've hurt them and get grow better because of it. So I would just say that it's mostly, um, yeah, mostly I get, I receive negative feedback and if I word something um, not thoughtfully and, and that it's, it's sometimes good and sometimes uh, hard and puts pressure on me to not want to write some days because I, if I'm not in a clear head or if I'm not, you know, I don't want to post flippantly because of the negative feedback that I can get. <laughs> Yeah, um, being online can be difficult. So have you ever thought about taking a break from social media or how do you kind of protect your own mental health when these things happen? Yeah, um, I do take a break and that's actually something that I'm starting to to implement into my life a lot better than I think I used to. Um, I I used to feel this like, urge to post at least 
every day. I don't know. It kind of goes in waves because that's not even true. There's been times where like I, I don't post for like three weeks and then there's times, you know, it just kind of goes in waves. But then there's times where I can feel myself being addicted to social media, which is a whole nother, you know, psychological ball game. <laughs> um, and I can find myself being concerned by the comments or the likes or, or the engagement in the post. Um, and it's kind of, I have to have the self-responsibility to look at myself and be like, okay, do I need to step away from this? Because I'm starting to base like some sort of self-esteem on whether or not this, this post does well today or, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, I've started to get a little bit better about taking breaks. I've also filtered my feed a lot, um, which I know a lot of people talk about, but it's crucial. I, I have no no qualms. I will talk about this till the day I die. If you're going to be on social media and you're going to use actively use social media, you need to filter your stuff because like, I do not follow celebrities. I don't follow models. I don't follow like gym fitness people. I just don't, I don't even follow yoga people and I love yoga. <laughs> um, but I just don't follow anything that's going, anything that I don't feel is going to make my body image better. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's something about diversifying your feed too. But yeah, just in the sense of like models, actresses, stuff like that. I just, I don't feel the need to. I'm quite fine not needing to see them in a swimsuit on the beach. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, what role does social media have for you currently in your own recovery journey? It's a huge part of it, you know? So I use social media and I have for a long time as a means of processing my own recovery, um, which is why I'm pretty blunt online and why I've used, I use sometimes my, my account and my blog as, as almost a diary that's public, right? Um, because a lot of it is just a smattering of stream of conscious of, of feelings or beliefs or perspectives. Because, you know, I always keep, I'm not an expert. Like, like I said, like, I write about my experience because it's all I know how to write about. I'm not an influencer that's going to sit online and tell somebody what to do. I'm just going to shed perspective on what I did or what I want to do or what I try to do um, that's helped me along the way. And um, I've gotten a little bit more like talking about the science behind eating disorders, which I find fascinating. But in general, yeah, I just use it more as a diary. So I, it, the role in my recovery has been really crucial, you know, and I feel grateful for the, the recovery community more often than not, even though they're challenging sometimes. <laughs> um, I feel really grateful for the recovery community because, you know, it leads me to people like you and it leads us to have these conversations and I love them. I mean, I I'm an extrovert, so I enjoy people. I enjoy talking to people and I'll talk about this stuff till I'm blue in the face. So. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, well, I want to thank you for doing what you do on Instagram because it certainly has an impact on people who are in recovery. So thank you for yeah. thanks for saying that. I hope so. You know, and all the way that I think of it is like, I think that you can only all I can ever provide is like a seed of perspective, and then somebody has to take that seed and and water it and nurture it and put it into the ground the way that they will. Um, and nobody's going to take a seed and plant it the same way. And it just, you know, and sometimes the seed of perspectives that I share are changing for me. Like there's stuff that I did on social media eight years ago that I would never do now. Um, you know, cause, because I've become more educated in it as we go along, right? Like we're all maneuvering through this together. I used to do before and after pics all the time, like eight years ago. 
um, seven years ago, like when all this started, because there just was no, it was such a free for all at the time and, and nobody really knew how to navigate the eating disorder landscape, especially on social media. Um, and now that we're all realizing what's more triggering or what's more painful and, and kind of all tuning into like psychologically, why are we posting some of the things that we're posting? Um, I think that there's been a huge shift. So yeah, there's a lot that I would not post that I did back then. It's it's interesting, my blog too. Sometimes I have to like go through my blog and go edit out shit. Cause I'll like, sorry, I just said, <laughs> but like sometimes I'll like go on my blog and I'll like look at things that I wrote, you know, five years ago and five years ago, I will say something about how many miles I ran or something, you know, just some, just triggering numbers. And it's, I have to go and like, to, like edit it out really quick. Cause I'm like, Ugh. but it's just all the process I think of learning and learning in my recovery too, which now I've been in recovery as long as I had an eating disorder, crazy enough. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, it's a continuous process, isn't it? Recovery. Always. And it creeps, you know, and it ebbs and it flows just like anything else. And uh, I think that's what, that's more what I've had to accept about it over the years is that like, there's times where I feel like I'm over it and then it's done. And, uh, and then there's times it creeps back up again. And now instead of, I guess, hating or like having shame around the times that it comes back up, I have more of this awareness of like, all right, so it's here. <laughs> like, um, do I let it in the door or do I keep it out knowing that if I keep it out, it's going to keep growing. And so if I let it in, then I can talk, I can talk to it. <laughs> I can talk to it. It's like, there's two sides of me. Right. And I can like sit there and talk myself through it and like why, why the tick is happening or why the eating disorder stuff is going on for me. And usually, obviously it's never, it's never anything to do with the food. <laughs> it's always something to do with some emotional feeling that I'm having as we all know. <laughs> those of us in recovery <laughs> yeah definitely well I want to thank you for speaking with me today I really appreciate it yeah um, thank you for having me on yeah so you reached the end of this episode with the trauma and mental health report podcast thanks for joining us connect with us at trauma.blog.yorku.ca you can also find us on Facebook Twitter Instagram or LinkedIn don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and newsletter to see our latest content. See you in the next episode.